Hey guys, welcome to episode 17 of the Grab Life podcast and our first ever video episode. I decided just as my guests get better looking, I thought I'd uh, put them on camera. So today we've got um, a guy who, a good friend of mine who I'm, I have to say I'm very proud to be friends with and you'll learn exactly why. So just to give you a brief run through um, his life up to the age of 26, um, grew up in England, got chosen to go to a tennis academy, the type that all the professionals like Nadal, etc. go to, over in Spain, um, came over then to Ireland, became school captain or head boy um, of his school within three years, which may be the first time that was ever done in that place, possibly. Um, went and did human rights law in uh, international relations in DCU, uh, then decided to do go to a proper university and did human rights law in UCD. Went to work in Kenya for three or four months uh, yeah. uh, for a charity out there. Then went into a, a really hot startup in Dublin and ran a sales team there. Grew it from five to 30 people in the business. And then rode across the Atlantic from uh, Tenerife for the Canary Islands all the way over to the Caribbean, to Antigua, yeah. uh, which is 5,000 miles in a small little boat with three other madmen. Um, that took, what, seven weeks? Uh, it took 32 days, 22 hours, and four minutes. And four minutes. God, you didn't even come in with the 32. Before, <laughs> no. um, so, Remarco Life, and we're going to learn a little bit um, about it now. So a good place to jump in would be the Spanish Tennis Academy. That would be a point of interest for people. What went on there? Um, I was 15 years old. Uh, I was playing very high competitive tennis in the UK. And then uh, I got picked by the LTA, which is the London Tennis Association, to go over to um, Barcelona to play for the Santos Sanchez uh, Cazal. And it's in Barcelona, and it's just six hours of tennis every day. And then in the mornings and the evenings, you fit in if you can, your homework and all that. Oh, so you still go to school while you're there? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, and uh, and it was like that for a few weeks, and it was very, very tough. It was kind of like a trial basis. Right. And uh, just because when you're 15, that's what's kind of pretty much when you read out whether you're going to make it or not make it. And if you're going to go down that path, it's no school. It's pretty full on, right? Oh, it's, yeah. Well, you do do school, but it's so secondhand. It's like you don't, you're not getting a broad education at yeah, all. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's completely secondhand. Yeah, that's what I've kind of learned. Obviously, I would play tennis in Ireland as well, which is probably Mickey Mouse compared to what you guys are doing. But you did have people leaving, dropping out of school in Ireland, say moving to France to play there or whatever it was. Yeah. And just realizing that the commitment to make it in tennis was so much more than the commitment to make it in um, a regional sport in Ireland, like rugby or whatever it might be. Exactly. And obviously, it takes a lot to make it in rugby. Yeah, but well, just it's, tennis it's, on an international scale, it's it's, it's lonely sport. You know, you're, yeah. on, you're on your own and it's. Uh, there's no team behind you. Well, there is a team of like people that are on the court with you. Mm. Uh, they have different experiences that you're going through. It's it's, uh, it's very lonely, very very tough, and extraordinarily competitive. And why did you, why did it end? Why did you leave? Um, I just kind of broke down. I wasn't good enough to make it. Right. Okay. Um, and I put everything into it. I got complete burnout. Um, yeah. And yeah, like like pretty much short and long answer is I wasn't good enough. Yeah, such uh, an intense thing. Yeah, and to take that 15 was pretty, pretty tough to swallow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you then, you've left Spain, you end up coming over to Ireland and, as I say, becoming head boy of, of our school within three years, um, which is a huge achievement for anyone who, who kind of isn't aware. I put that down to a couple of qualities that you have, but the number one of which was always having a very mature social conscience that I don't think anyone else I knew or have met at that age um, has had. And that social content really showed itself then in the, in the two university courses that you chose to do. So, um, 
international relations and, and human rights law then as well. So yeah. was that just an ingrained part of you or where did that come from? Um, there's a few factors that led to that. Um, I wasn't I wasn't very good at maths and I wasn't very good at uh, say like physics or anything like that, but I was very good at English and history. So I needed to do subjects in, in college I thought that was more kind of uh, writing based and, and I was very good at kind of expressing arguments and kind of group discussions or group projects. And I had European studies down in Trinity and I had international relations in DCU and I just felt that DCU was kind of a further way, left people from my year were going, kind of the more of a, a, a new start again. Yeah. Not I didn't love Flanders, but I just kind of wanted, didn't want to be in that kind of bubble again. Yeah, and, sure. and, and But the main thing is the course, the course line, uh, the reasoning line just seemed brilliant. It was what I was interested in at the time. Yeah. About politics, uh, about uh, global trade, about um, international law. Kind of put it all together, so uh, took the diving one out. Was it focused more on politics or business or what? You get to choose. The first year is very general. Okay. Kind of like this, uh, it's uh, this thing called small IR and big IR. Um, big IR is uh, international relations between you know different countries, and small IR is kind of like how your country is affected by that those decisions and, and those relationships that you're going to have. Uh, and then under teaches that, then kind of the basics of international law. And the basics of kind of global trade, and then you get to go into do you want to go into more the economic side of it, the law side of it, um, or maybe kind of social contract side of it, yeah. the aid kind of side of it, and stuff like that. And the guys who do that course, what do they tend to go on to? I'm guessing they're mostly like ambassadors or yeah, economists. Yeah. Or yeah. The most famous graduate from international relations is Ban Ki Moon. Uh, he's the Ban Ki Moon. Ah, right. Yeah. He founded the uh, EU. Or uh, you, he was the general secretary. General secretary. Yeah, right. Okay. Of the, of the, um, of the UN. Right, okay. Yeah, uh, now he did it in South Korea. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, but a lot of people go on to do like third secretary exams, which is um, kind of like ambassador stuff. Right. Uh, other people go on to do a lot of NGO stuff. Um, it's, it's a big, wide mix. And um, you did the full degree there? Yeah. And then you went and did another master's, the, the, uh, the master's in human rights law. Yeah. Why human rights law and not law? Um, I think I've kind of just kind of caught up like I didn't want to go down this kind of corporate route um, which is funny because I did later on in my life ah, I wouldn't call specifically a, a corporate, corporate yeah go on but it was more I know it was just kind of I always felt I, I had a big affinity with the underdog I always have and always will right. be and I just felt that if I was going to go down a, a law route realistically I'd always be gravitating either towards criminal law or human rights law yeah. and I think at the time I was just taken by like it's very, I love having my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world. Yeah. And I like seeing what's going on. Because I'm on the outside Ireland. Ireland's tiny. Mm. We leave a huge footprint for such a small country. Uh, you know, politically in Europe, politically in the world, uh, socially, economically. But I just felt that there was a lot more out there than just focused on maybe criminal law in Ireland. Or yeah, sure. Law in the UK. And I wanted to kind of experience it. And I thought that um, human rights law would kind of bring me kind of to travel better. So it wasn't one uh, cause or one incidence of human rights deprivation or anything that kind of drove it. It was more just this inherent uh, desire to fight for the underdog. Yes. Right, okay. Yeah. And you did that then. You, you finished that master's. And within a matter of weeks, you were out in Kenya, right? Yeah, I hopped on a plane to go out to a place called Niambani, which is in Tweed. Right. In Kenya, which is three, like three-hour drive uh, east of Nairobi, which yeah. is the capital. And I just worked in an orphanage there with kids with um, parents who died of HIV, and they had HIV, and they were HIV negative. So 
So yeah. the kids were HIV negative, but the parents had already died from being positive. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it's just this um, it's this orphanage in the middle of nowhere. There's a, a thousand plus kids, ranging from the age of a few months to uh, well, maybe not a few months, maybe a couple, maybe eighteen months old to maybe eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. Yeah. And you just get them ready for real life when they undergo college lockdowns. Yeah. What an intense experience. How long were you gone for? Uh, I was there for five months. Five, oh, five months, right? Okay, I thought it was three. Um, and living with the locals, like the locals, and I remember you came back really skinny. Oh, I came back very skinny. So yeah. what, what, what was what happened? Like, what, what did you eat every day? What was your routine like? Um, we I wake up in the morning and uh, we'd have this thing called uh Rotitas, which is just kind of like battered bread. Right. Uh, and it was tiny, and I bought like big thing of ketchup, and. Uh, not ketchup or peanut butter, and I just put the peanut butter on it, and then um, you would eat till the evening, which would be kind of like a soup with kind of like like broth. You literally have like um, you whatever they had in the day, whether it was chickens or um, goat or whatever, and then you just there wasn't enough food really. I, I actually smoked a lot because of them. Like cigarettes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why? Uh, just to keep the hunger pains. No way. Yeah. Went oh through my like God. Days. Yeah. And what did you live in? I lived in this. I lived in the kind of the student health centre, which is actually nice, but it was just kind of like. Um, so it was not like a Western building the way we know buildings. Kind of, it was kind of like a, a gym hall. I lived in. Right. Okay. And then there was bunk beds in there. Yeah. And I lived in there. I just stayed in one bunk bed. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. So you get up in the morning. You have your bread and then your peanut butter, which I'd say became your favourite thing in the world. Yeah. And apart from cigarettes, by the sounds of it. And once you get up, you you go off and do what during the day? You building or are you? So a number of different things, and it would change. Like for example, I did a water initiative. So we tried to we won a ten thousand dollar bid by USAID to improve their water usage. Right. So we went in and did a big evaluation of how the water was being used, what was being used for, and then how to how to educate them on the value of the water. Now they educate them was more kind of like we did the research that was presented to them, and they got to choose what they wanted to do. Okay. It was very much like what they wanted to do sure. with, with the water, and then we would implement it. Whether it was uh, digging boreholes and get some water out from the ground. Uh, they had flat floods twice a week, twice a year, and you could do a, a, a flat flood. Flash floods. Right. Oh, flash flood. Right, yeah, right, during okay, the rainy right. seasons, yeah. and it could collect a lot of water. Yeah. Very okay. very quickly, and, could, and we had, you could build bunkers that could keep water there. There's a lot of rainwater as well. You could have kept. You also the water needs to be um, kind of purified as well through different purifying techniques. Right. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot to it. There's yeah. a lot to it, um, and that was one aspect. Another aspect we did, I did was. Uh, a lot of the kids would be trying to get into university, and it's very like the American system where they have to write kind of a personal statement. Right. So I would go through that and put them personal right, statements okay. and stuff like that. And then there'd be other kind of small, like legal aspects of it as well, like if the kids have been adopted or if the kids, um, if the kids would like it, sometimes there was like a government grant, and some of them were able to go to college and get paid for it because they'd have to go through these really legal documents that prove how sick they were. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very interesting. And there is a. Small group of children running around in Congo. Kenya with uh, called Congo's rugby team, is it? Yeah, the Congo's rugby team. Yeah, named after a school, and they're wearing purple and white as well. Yeah, yeah. So I went to I went to Congo's, and they very kindly gave me, um, they gave me. I think they gave me about forty tops. So the purple white tops, unreal. Um, uh, a lot of shorts and the socks, uh, tons of balls, and I just set up a rugby club there, and now they they play <laughs> in purple and white. That is unbelievable. Yeah. So you're the only one I know who's had an experience like this, um, and I'm guessing there are things about it that you couldn't even describe to someone who hasn't had an experience like that. 
But how would you begin to? Like, I, I, I remember, I don't remember specifics, but I do remember there were some very, very dark and, and hard parts of it that, um, that kind of really struck you and that most people in our little world in Ireland never even get exposed to, you know? Yeah. Um, how would you describe an experience like that? It's very tough. I would, the first word that comes to mind is like humbling. Like it's it's not humbling and you're not gonna be humbling, like I'm so grateful to have an iPhone or I'm so grateful to have be able to go to some great school and stuff yeah. like that. And I and I don't know what kind of humbling it was and still I don't know, I'll always probably be searching what kind of humbling it is, but it's um and I kind of learned later later on I was just kind of a bit just I was just more conscious of being grateful. Right. Yeah. I wasn't coming around like a thing like I'm so grateful for the car. Yeah, yeah. I was just, just a bit more grateful that um that um this so many different factors have come into play in my life that made have made my life easy and mm. I was able to go out and do great stuff and go on adventures and a lot of those kids um kind of capped you know they 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 can only go so far sure now it's become extraordinarily difficult for them to go any further now yeah. a lot of them have some of these kids go on to be airplane uh, airplane pilots um uh, doctors if they're if they're good lawyers as well but their their path has been extraordinarily difficult for yeah sure. I just, I just very, I just conscious of how humble and how lucky, yeah, um, my beginnings were. What did you? How did it alter your view of the value of life, or your perception of the value of life? It kind of, it kind of, kind of ironically, kind of cheapened it. Right. Like, um, I think in the West we have this thing where I think we've moved to quite an individual, where it's like, um. You know, you're trying. Everybody's trying to go and get their their own in this world, and uh, they're. I feel like it's kind of without realizing we're kind of a lot more alpha number one than I felt in the community in Kenya was. Yeah. Um. Just reason being, I feel you know, life is a lot cheaper. Like people didn't live as long as we did. Mm. Like people, a lot of the kids died a lot earlier. Then a lot more kids because a lot of the kids died of childbirth. Like death was such a more common trait in their in their in their yeah. lives, and they just dealt with it quite differently as well. Is Sometimes I think we hide kids uh, from death, you know, and we, we prepare them, you know, if, you know, sometimes I meet some people and the first time they know anybody who's died is their granny yeah. or their grandfather and they're in their 20s. Yeah. So, you know, like, it's, you know, we, we, if you come across somebody in Ireland who's, whose mother's died, that's a huge gift. Yeah. You know, whereas in this, in this uh, orphanage, a lot of brothers and sisters have died. Mm. And it's just kind of much more of a natural process of life, which I feel is actually more of a natural way that we as humans we were yeah uh, and, I, and i feel we're kind of kind of um, in cotton bud a little bit in the west with kind of we've come so far that we've kind of made death something that's not natural sure that's a, that's a bit kind of alien to especially some weird world. thing that you meet way down the road yeah 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 and we and we put so much difference on it and, and we put so much emphasis on it whereas in, in kenya you're just like they died and you just kind of they mourn until they kind of get on yeah sure you know, and and we're not special that's yeah. the thing i learned like we're not I, I have to ask people, like, what is my purpose in life? There are seven billion people on this world. You don't have a purpose. You know, you 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 know, you are, you won, you know, you won a lottery, the fact that you were born, and you're, the reason you're here is because of evolution. You know, you weren't put here by a god or put here by... To uh, do or serve something. Yeah, you're, you're here just to live as part of the natural world. And what about all, what, what do you say then to all the people out there looking for that purpose? Um... I'm not anti people looking for a purpose. I'm just conscious that sometimes people 
prohibit doing a lot of things because I'm looking for this purpose. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do this job because I, it's not my purpose. I don't want to do that. It's not my purpose. Like, you know, trying to, if you want to find out what you want to find, not, I don't use the word purpose, but what you want to do, you're not going to, you're very lucky if you, if you land on it and you find something you don't. It's just, you just literally have to move from job to job and find out what you don't like, what you can put up with, and actually what you do like and what you're good at and kind of mold it together. There's, there's, I, I just be very conscious, just be very worried, and I'd be, uh, I'd warn people against having too much of a, 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 a need to find my purpose and, and focus in life. And I think sometimes doing that to you, that a lot of, a lot of, a lot of options you have to you that you don't even realize could be for you. Yeah. I didn't realize I was, I did international relations, then human rights law, and ended up having a great time doing uh, a startup where we made software for the hospitality industry. Yeah. And I was just a bit went back with much more open mind thing, right? I can't, I'll do anything here, Joe. I'll, 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 I'll get experiment. And whereas if I was like, I'm following my purpose, my purpose, my purpose, I'd be down a very different route. I wouldn't have had the doors that opened up to LinkedIn and everything. It's strange that you talk about sort of purpose not being a big thing because when I think about the journey towards purpose, the first step on that journey in my eyes for young people is to go and develop a social conscience. Go and expose yourself to social issues to put some context on your place in society and, and in life, etc. And it's strange that you have been met with such stark, strong social issues, including education, and still you come back saying that isn't the path to find a purpose, or uh, that, that purpose isn't quite as tangible a thing as people seem to hope that it is. Well, I just I would agree with you definitely to go out and find um, to expose yourself to social issues and grow a social conscience. Yeah, if that's what you want to do. So some people want to do that. I certainly want to do it. Some people, and, and that that was my own. Um, that's what I was finding. Like if you, uh, in in our society, if you have some people who just want to go out and make a load of money, and that's what makes them happy. Then by, by all means, go out and make a load of money, and that, that makes them happy. That makes them happy. So and that's your route, and um, and and if. If you stumble across the social conscious and you want to go down that route, then go down that route. But to, to think that um that you have a God given purpose and a divine um path that you have to follow and you find it, that I I don't believe that. Right. Okay. Yeah. What advice do you give to someone who's you know just leaving college? They're part of this audience. Yeah. Just leaving college, kind of humming and hawing about what they might do, and this sounds great, but I'm not too into it, or this could be interesting, but I don't know where it would lead to. Uh, I wonder, and, and you know, bringing purpose into that equation as well. What would your advice be to someone in that situation? Um, I would, I would say that uh, if you're going, if you're really going to go find the, go down the route of purpose and, and, and find out what you want to do, I would say that um, you're going to have to shed a lot of expectations of what you think you are, because what you are is going to change big time, big big time. If you if college. Uh, you're in a cocoon, and there's a lot to be said when you go into real big bad world, and it is a big bad world. Mm. You know, it's a dark, dark place, and it's a brilliant place at the same time. But you're going to discover stuff about yourself, and you're going to have to very quickly uh, shed a lot of notions about yourself. Yeah, you have to shed a lot of expectation you have on yourself. Uh, I, but I would say that like hope will only be twenty when you apply. But if you if you if you if you um, if you navigate through them uh, and you and you stay true to what yourself. Uh, and you're brave enough to be and turn away from stuff. So, for example, if you go down a job you don't like it, 
but it's a good career progression. It's all this thing. This is not what you want to do. You need to have the balls to be like, no, you can go on to something else and be open to what that next thing is. And don't be pulled down by, oh, my, my purpose is to go off and do this and that. Don't just be have an open book and, and don't let life happen to you. But take it by the horns and know that life is going to throw you a lot of curveballs. And, and not to be, sometimes people like, like to think we're, um, they kind of blast through boulders and, and they're determined to get to this one place. And by all means, that is, if that's the kind of person you are. Some people, however, I think work a lot better if they kind of roll with the punches and like, mm. like we talked about this before. Uh, understand that, you know, it's, it's not the strong, the strong uh, tree in a storm that stays up. Yeah, it's, it's a tree that can bend. So I would just say be very flexible and, and, and shed all notions about who you are and what you really, really want to do and, and don't have that expectation. Yeah. And I think you'll enjoy life a lot more. We were talking about that the other night um, and I was saying that the goal of mine has changed or the, the basis of my goals has kind of changed from what you want to be from like emphasis on what towards how you want to be and what kind of guy you want to be, the guy or person you want to be. And I mentioned the idea of the, the, the goal of being the type of guy that whatever is thrown, you can catch it without missing a step and keep moving forward with life and not getting kind of knocked off track by whatever is thrown at you. And of course, yeah. some things will knock you and, and that sort of thing. And then it just becomes about resilience and how fast you can get up. And I guess that whole idea is resilience. Yeah. And um, that would be basing a goal on how you want to be rather than what you want to be because what you're looking to is like, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm not anti-goals at all. I'm very, if I'm pro-goals, I'm pro, I'm more like areas. I want to go try and go into this area. And I would be very um, critical of somebody who's like, I want to go and do this exact thing in this area. Do you know right. so, somebody who knows, you know, who's in college and is like, right, um, I want to become a communication manager for this company and doing this, and this is what my job is going to be like. Yeah. Like that is, you know, that's, that's pro's mind. Maybe maybe go into it. Uh, I put my dad's. I want to work in this industry in marketing, and then whatever job takes it, and where and that kind of ride that way and mm. see where the job takes it. You know, because put up these kind of I sometimes think these purpose or these goals can actually act as boulders when you're actually discovering what you want to do. But by all means, once you find out actually, and for the next ten years when you're working, um, or oh, I'm actually very good at this and that and the other, then you can definitely hone in those boulders. Yeah, and you can get better and better. At what you are and more important but what you think you're good at in the league college what you'll be good at in your 30s it can be very different yeah so is your summary then or part a summary of a part of that then do what you feel like you would enjoy doing and be stimulated by rather than looking for a purpose in something you're doing yes absolutely. okay yeah and then i'll have the, have the courage to get it wrong if you're like i thought i'd enjoy this sure no i'm taking a left turn and, and don't worry about your friend who's um in a law firm and earning tons of cash and is on a great career progression and is about to do really, really well. Like don't that that is not your world. Yeah. You know, and and they're racing towards an end goal, but that's their end goal. Yeah. You know, and their end goal is not going to make your end goal happy. Sure. You're gonna have some friends who are gonna be so so lost. Um for example, even like not that we thought or I thought you're lost, like for example you went off to Australia and described to want to live in Australia and you want to work in banking. So you kinda of did it. So you didn't have exact goals. Yeah. When you come back with this wealth of knowledge and wealth of kind of a, a maturity well beyond uh, uh, us who kind of maybe stayed at home too long. Just flattering the hip. But, um, but it was just that kind of, you kind of rode the wave and you kind of knew the general direction you wanted to go into, but you didn't have concrete goals. Yeah. You know, you, you, you weren't saying, oh, this is the exact job I want to do. It's like more just what I want to work in. Yeah. 
you know, and then and then and then we took enough courage to be like actually no, that's not I don't I don't like that. And then he would go off about the Googles. Then we yeah. had enough courage to be like no, I'm going off. To, and then he went off to South America. Because that dad is going to live a very fulfilled life. Not the person who realizes that actually at the age of thirty five they don't want to be a barrister or a doctor and has a mortgage or kids or whatever it is and can't get out of what they're doing. Yeah, it's that's the, a huge thing. The best thing is is to have the courage to 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 put your hand up and make a mistake and make as many mistakes as you can. Yeah, like really make as many mistakes as you can. Yeah. Um, of the three big things I've done that you just mentioned, like going to Australia to work in a bank, leaving the bank to work in tech. Uh, leaving tech to set up the events business and leaving Australia to go to South America. They all have something in common, two things in common. A, I was super excited before doing each of them, like almost uncontainably excited. And B, each of them ended up being really, really hard in their own ways. So I think in terms of criteria to, to, to meet challenges and meet a journey that, that you're kind of talking about, I would say hold off for something that you're actually really excited about doing and don't be surprised when it gets tough and keep going through it when it gets tough because that's where the growth is. Yeah. Do you agree with both of those? Don't no. do something you're not excited about? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, don't, don't, don't be worried if, if it's, you know, if, uh, don't think that hard yourself. It's like, this isn't what I thought it would be going to be. Yeah. But that is so natural. Yeah. That's, you know, there, you know there's people who, who have jobs now that you want to have and, and they're coming home complaining about those jobs. So yeah. It is not... This perfect ideal world that you know there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of tough stuff out there you're gonna have to get through and push yeah. through. So um so you came home from Kenya aware of the world being a much tougher place than we could even ever imagine it being really, and you kind of were you more relaxed about the job then you were kind of like, man I'm so lucky to even just have be in a safe place and have food etc and I'll just go get a job that um that stimulates me etc. Or what way were you approaching a job after an experience like that? It, I, I certainly didn't lose an appetite or a hunger uh, to, to go pursue dreams and goals, but I definitely came back kind of realizing that um, I was just a lot more relaxed than myself. Sure. Know, like I used to really pull myself up and be like, and I'd be very self-critical, be, be here, be there, be the other. And I just really came back from a culture where, um, and it's not a culture that I would actually per se strive in, but some parts of the culture I really appreciated where they were just, they were actually loving their life and they're living it. And they These were, startup guys? No, no, uh, in Kenya. Oh, in Kenya, right. And, okay. and it's just, they were just, they were just, um, but they were, they were getting, they were getting their, their own careers done and they were getting, yeah. they're going where they wanted to go, but they were enjoying it. Mm. You know, and I remember uh, a quote that Martina Navratilova said when she won uh, uh, the last title in London and at the age of 55 or so, she's like, you just have to enjoy the journey. Yeah. And I realized I wasn't enjoying the journey. I was so hypercritical. You know, I was definitely enjoying these small, tiny little goals yeah. in this hypercritical journey. But I wasn't, I wasn't having very fun, and nine to five or sure. you know. So I kind of stepped back and I was like, right, I need to do something completely different here and kind of shake the pot. Mm. And then to a friend of a friend, uh, I heard about this interview, and um, I went for went for the interview, and uh, and then the rest was history. Went for the interview. So Bazimply is a startup that works with um, scheduling software and or kind of like workflow and scheduling software and was an award-winning startup in Ireland. oh yeah the it's founded by three guys um who three very different guys and they just they just brought together a really really good team a really good team and 
it was just fun. It was a lot of responsibility very quickly because it's a startup. So you were you hire number one after the three guys? Uh, well, Marshall was hire number one, and then I was hire number two. So right, me okay. and Marshall within a month of each other, uh, and then it just it grew from there. So when I when I left Olympia, we were at just just south of thirty people. Right. Um, it was like I said, there's a lot of responsibility very quickly. There's a lot of people saying, "How do we do this?" And we're looking at each other. And there's no textbook for it, yeah. which is extraordinarily frightening. You know, and, and the processes we did, I remember in November 2014, and what we're doing now, totally different. The platforms were different. The product was even different. The team grew. We lost some people. We got more people. Um, it was very, very exciting, and it was like doing an MBA, like doing a free MBA, and just seeing how. A really good business actually starts. Yeah. And all, like I said, for all the mistakes you make, you make yeah. so many mistakes, so many mistakes. And um, but then so we had a team that were learning from mistakes and we weren't put down by them. And I think that was testament to us in the end doing very well with um, we won a huge award with the um, what's that um, French magazine. Um, what's the name of it? Or what's the what what did they do? The web search. Oh, uh, web summit. Right, okay. Huge award with web summit, and then we got a we went to a, a series A. We got a huge round of funding as well, and the, the guys now are about to do another series B round right. of funding. So it's going from strength to strength, um, and it was a, it was a crazy and it was uh, great fun, and there was very tough times as well. Yeah. But you know, like if you told me I was in that, you know, four or five years ago, I would have told you no, that's not my goal. That's not yeah, my yeah, to do no that Whereas I ended up loving it, mm. learning loads from it. Um, and and because of that, through that, I was able to uh, roll across the Atlantic. Yeah, we'll get onto that. But you haven't worked in a big business yet. No. What are the advantages of working? We we talked to a lot of people who've worked in big businesses. Not many who work in small businesses, and certainly not many who work in really good startups from almost day one uh, to three three and a half years down the line. What's that experience like? Versus what you would expect a large business to be like. What do you think is, is interesting, good and bad, about working in, in that environment? Well, so I like I said, I don't have worked in a big business, so I'd imagine sometimes you might feel that you're a small cog in a big wheel. If you're a yeah. big machine, and you, you know, are you, are you actually contributing that much? Whereas um, I felt anyway with Olympi, the work I did Monday to Friday was immediately was like self gratification straight away. Sure. I could see I could see the difference it was making. Yeah. Uh, I could see the company growing and I could see the reason it was growing in this direction was because of the ideas I was proposing. You know, or I could see uh, I could you know I could I could have I felt a lot freer now I could learn from my mistakes. So you know, I could suggest something it didn't work and then we'd go back to the drawing board and do it yeah. again. Uh, you know my job wasn't per se it, towards the end it was definitely results driven but it was more kind of like um didn't even have to be results driven. It was just more kind of how do we get this working? And then mm. you're in more of a survival mode. You know? And there's no hiding. There's no hiding. Mm. You're just out there in the open. But it's so it's and I was, each startups are very different. But it was just okay to make mistakes. Yeah. Where we were. And it was just um, and it was just just seeing it just seeing it grow and people being um very enthusiastic about it. And people loving coming to work as well. And people um becoming very interested in the work that they did. You know, and being very passionate—it's kind of infectious. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't per se. You know, I was definitely wasn't born to make um, um, Procter and Procter House software or yeah. to sell it. You know, but I found myself being quite passionate about it yeah. at the age twenty-six, and, and that's kind of reaffirmed. It's like you don't have these rock-solid goals in your twenties. Sure. You know, you be open to what yeah. might surprise you, what what you might like, and I, I was just very very happy that I, I I stood by that kind of that mindset, yeah. and and I'd not per se stumbled on. It, but I had kind of, in a way, manufactured that I now wanted to see other people use. Mm. You can see how people get 
really emotionally invested in small businesses because the mission is right there. So a big thing for me with companies and work, etc., is mission. And I wouldn't quite overlap it with purpose because purpose is an individual pursuit, whereas mission would be we are a group of people, a team. What are we actually together for? What are we trying to achieve together? And if you have really direct contact with that mission, and as you say, effect, so if there's five of you there, your weekly contribution brings you uh, materially closer to the mission. Yeah, That's a big draw for emotional investment. You know, and emotional investment is a huge part of what gives people stimulation and and happiness in their work. Yeah, I felt that it was not to throw any shade towards any large tech companies. Sure, no. The place like Facebook and Google, when you're first joining in, there's none, there's kind of an air that they've made it, they've, got, they've, they've done it. Yeah. You know, they are, you know, they are the poster boys, I think, yeah. were, in a way. And without a doubt, if you stay with them and way down the career, you start making significant changes mm-hmm. for that company. But when you're starting off, the next, the first 10, 15 years, you're definitely a small cog and you're not, you know, you're, you're not trying to make it. You've, you've made it, you're just kind of following the guidelines. Yeah. Whereas in Bizimpli, it was like, we are trying to make, we are trying to become Google. We're trying to become Facebook. There's that scrap. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't mean like a carbon copy of the company, but no, we're, we're course, trying yeah, to become yeah. that big. Yeah, yeah. That household name. Yeah. That we, you know, when people think, well, I need to find something, oh, I'll Google it. You know, whereas people are like, oh, I need to start a business. Oh, I'll Bizimpli it. Yeah. You know, become interested in making this happen. You know, yeah. That's what they. That's a very cool thing, the idea of climbing. Yeah, and, um, and it, was, it was such a huge, uh, vast area to climb, and, and there was kind of no cap on it. Yeah. Like people weren't saying, oh, you can't go there. That's you know, that's a dark side thing, that you can't go there. It was like, literally go wherever you want to go. Yeah. Um, so within reason, but the world is your oyster a lot more in a, in a startup. Um, and if you're young, energetic, and you've got ideas to bring to the table, you'll go very far very quickly. Yeah. yeah. I really like that idea. Um, a book I read last year had it in two stories it had um this old guy talking about the two happiest people i've ever met uh one was a climber and one was a swimmer and he saw the guy he heard the guy grunting he walked past the well in the hills and he heard the guy grunting in the well and he kind of looked down and this guy climbing the wall and he just stands there and he waits for the guy to get all the way up and he gets up and then he jumps back in and he says what are you doing you just got out you're just free and he says no no i do this every day it's the climb it's boring up there it's the climb that i want and then the same, I guess, analogy with um, the swimmer or whatever it was jumping into choppy water because it was the stimulation yeah. that they were looking for as opposed to what would be perceived as the end goal of getting out of the well onto the flat ground or out of the water onto the uh, terra firma. Yeah. It, that wasn't actually what they're looking for. They're looking for the climb. And some personalities are built for that. And some personalities, many, are built for what those larger corporations offer in the, uh, the, the security or all the perks or you know, whatever it might be. And obviously they're they're yeah. doing their own climb. Yeah, you have a series of entrepreneurs and in, in working in Zimpsy, I met a lot of people who met a lot of people who, you know, as soon as they sell the business, they, they go right back down to start yeah. again. And it's because they, it is it can be infectious. It yeah, can be, yeah. It's um it's it is it's somewhat kind of um a corporate drug. Yeah. You know, seeing seeing grown it and getting to where you want to Picking that box doing it again. Yeah. You know, sometimes you know, some people who run a marathon run a marathon, they tick off, they don't do it again. Mm. Some people run a marathon like right, when when's the next one? Just want to do it again, yeah. yeah. And then you have some psychos who for whom running a marathon isn't enough and they have to go off and I don't know, for example, roll across the Atlantic, that type of thing. They are psychos. They so must be nuts. Who, they never go into business because they're not want to do that. How would you meet three people who who do that type of thing? 
Uh, I've always wanted to do it. Right. Um, I always wanted to. I asked a lot of people if they could do it. I asked. You, you asked me, but I've got excuse. Yeah. You, you, you don't value it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I asked. Um, and I, I, a lot of people tea. So a few people did say that they would love to do it, but it it, it is the conversation you're asking people to do is like I need you to quit your job, risk your life. Uh, well, quit your job. Uh, give me loads of loads of money. Pretty much all your savings. And uh, and then and acknowledge that you're gonna write the will and you know there's a there's a good chance you won't be coming back from this venture. Yeah. And uh, at one stage, most people fall on those uh, criteria. And <laughs> they get all the way up to the will and be like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, God, that's huge. But then I asked a mutual friend of ours, does he do it? And he said he couldn't afford it. Three lads down in Cork who are who are on very our equally cap. Who's a mutual friend? Louis Green. Oh, Louis. Oh, yeah. he wouldn't know those people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Louis asked me if we mentioned one of them, and he said they're, they're cats. They're down there. They want to do it. Uh, so I went down to Cork, and I just hit off them really, really well. Um, we had this same goal. We wanted to get across the Atlantic, and um, and it just it just kind of life sometimes about timing. I just yeah. fit in very well. Uh, I loved my time with Tim Vinci, um, but it, it was very much I felt it was coming to a natural end, and I needed to move on to the next thing. Yeah. So you know, I I, I wanted to get to the next adventure and the next kind of um you know, kind of area to work in and be surprised about what mm. I want to love. And uh, so I, this was, I saw a really good career break or, you know, slash um, midlife crisis or quarter life crisis. <laughs> yeah, quarter life crisis. So uh, we prepared for about a year uh, to go across the Atlantic for training. Uh, getting all the equipment together is a logistical nightmare or it was a huge feat even just getting there. The attention to detail is colossal, absolutely colossal. Go on, give an example. Just, um, Everything from the, the the diameter of the rope you have around your boat, just in case you fall overboard, has to be able to sustain each one of your weights. So you have to weigh your weigh each person's weight, and they'll check that. Okay. Go to that to, to like to, to the life raft with them. Which life raft um do you have that is it sustainable to your boat? Can you get it out of that boat? Can you practice getting it out? Is it three three centimeters too big that you can't get it out? You have to get the you have to get the X3 model, which is a bit smaller. It goes to, you know, the spoon you have. You don't have a small spoon. You have a long spoon. This is the food you're eating. It's a bag, and you're dipping right down. Right. Uh, to close pegs, because actually, when you finish, you don't need the whole meal. You can put a close peg in. You dry your clothes out. The, the stuff that you wouldn't even think about, like yeah. toilet pegs. We bought, we bought 750 toilet um, baby wipes, and use every single one of them. You know, like it is just, and now it's just that's a scratch on the surface yeah. of the equipment you need mindset you need uh getting there was was huge it was just as much as part of the journey before we go on to the actual role can we talk a little bit about your mindset before it because what you're saying will be bizarrely appealing to a couple of people who are listening mm. and they'll be thinking god i'd love to challenge myself like that or you know do something like it whether it's a kenya or a row or whatever a south america whatever it might be what goes through your head as you weigh up hmm, i think those lads are talking about the row i've kind of always thought about it okay i'll do it what happens just before the, okay, I'll do it, I'll quit my job, I'll spend all my savings on a boat and equipment, and I'll call a lawyer to get a will written? How does that decision get reached? It's it's funny, and it goes back again to, you know, saying that people are very different. You know, mm. like, and it's still hard for me to put into words, like, why? And I, I, and there's a great line uh, somebody asked, um, uh, asked, this uh, adventurer um, who's who's uh, rowing down the rowing down the Amazon. He's like, why did you do it? 
like when you have to ask why then you never understand and right. I, I just and I can just kind of relate to that like it, it was just it's horse yeah. going to prophylactic I was like like I couldn't fathom of a, a better idea <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it annoyed me people, people was like you might die or you you know it's a, it's a, it's a career break it's going to cost yeah. a lot of money and it's like yeah but it's just like like it's hard to describe it. I would just the way I was built. Some people go into work and are happy to work 120 hours uh, a week uh, in a bank um, to make loads and loads and loads of money. Then it's all then go blow it on the weekend. Mm. It's a, I just I don't get it. That doesn't yeah you, yeah but, so. But some some people who, who do that that's a stroke. That's stroke. Yeah. What you just said reminds me of the famous Sir Edmund Hillary response, where the guy yeah. goes, "Good Lord, why did you climb Everest?" Yeah. And he goes. Yeah. and it's just this I have to it's a natural yeah. thing and it reminds me of um, a thing I've, I, a kind of theory I've got is that if you have this if you have a big idea a goal idea type of thing like rowing the Atlantic or starting a business or whatever it might be trip to South America was definitely it it carves out a space in your head of a certain shape and the only way you can be kind of fully fulfilled or whatever is that you fill that space. And yeah. the only thing that can fill that yeah. space is the exact shape of the thing you are thought of. That's a great way to put it. It was it was a, it was a very, very particular itch that Yeah, it's so it's a really unique shape and the only thing that can scratch the itch lovely is that. Otherwise it'll constantly just be this itch and this irritation. Yeah. And you just kinda of have to move. Yeah. Um so that was that that was behind the decision. And you met these other Three court lads who sound like lovely guys. One was a doctor. One was a uh, two doctors and a podiatrist. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah, um, and you trained together for a year, which would have involved a lot of trips up and down to Cork. And down to Cork, yeah. Then you left from Tenerife. I'm going to take a stab that it was the fifth of December. Was that the fifth? Fourteenth. Uh, Fourteenth of December. Yeah. Oh right, two days before I got back. Right, you left from Tenerife the fourteenth of December. Yeah, we were meant to leave on the twelfth. There was a huge storm that came in, and we and it was actually from uh, San Sebastian, which is an island, just literally just beside Tenerife. Right. And uh, we all wanted to go, but there's a huge storm coming in. They said we couldn't go on the first day, and they said we couldn't go on the second day. And they're like, right, if you want to go, you can go, but we advise not to go. In hindsight, we probably shouldn't have gone. Um, it was absolutely terrifying. Like really, really. You told me about the storm. I didn't realize that was at the very start. Yeah. That's so go on, tell us. You've got the boat. Loaded up. Uh, I'd love for to be able to describe the boat because I know what it looks like from here. Yeah, it's uh, it's a rowing boat with a living quarters. Yeah, it's seven 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 meters long, and if you put your arms over the side, they're in the water, and there's three seats you can row in, and it is it's very there's there's um I mean you live in the in the in the, in the hatch where you can sleep in, but it's very it's very open. Yeah, and then they, they told us we went out in like we went out in twenty nine thirty knot winds, and then they picked up a forty nine knot winds, and then we got up to fifty nine knot winds. Fifty nine knot winds are, are just absolutely terrifying. Like terrifying, the wind is howling, and um, they were saying we get you know forty fifty foot waves, and we got we got about fifty six foot waves there, and it was just a sixty foot wave is, you know, you'd be rowing and you don't you don't look at it like this. You're looking at the waves coming up 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 like this, and it just picks your boat up, and then you. In, you surf down the wave, you crash into it, and the wave comes over you, and you're freezing, and you're you're wet, and then the waves are hitting on the side, and the boat's tipping over, giving you back. You you know it was just terrifying, absolutely terrifying, and it was like that for for about about fifteen days, like really really bad, really really bad, and then it kind of 
anticipated and never left it per se. 15 days yeah, of just getting hammered by 60 foot waves. Absolutely, we're, yeah, we're at 160 foot waves. Jesus. Yeah, it was, it was relentless, like absolutely relentless. Like it, it is, I have been on the uh, edge before, say just to pick a small example, uh, before a big rugby match, uh, that kind of during you just kind of sit on edge or before you're about to get in trouble or something like that, but it was like <laughs> on about edge, to get in trouble. Yeah, for fifteen days and it was just yeah. And there was there was times where you just we were you couldn't see anything. It was just sea and you just four and there was four four land mammals in the middle of an ocean that they, you know, we were not bred to be in. I can't believe you're comparing this to about to get in trouble. You're mm-hmm. out in sixty four waves, a day and night bear in mind. Yeah. I'm trying to have Mr. Kelly's office sometimes. Where it, oh my god! It was pretty scary as well. What was? Can you? Can you? And it would be hard. But can you zoom back that fear? Like, what is it? That's a that's a, a fear of death, surely. Yeah, there was. It was really, really on edge. It was. Yeah. It can was, you remember any moments throughout? Yeah, we were very vulnerable. Uh, there was one moment on the twenty third when we capsized. Myself and Pat were on deck. Two o'clock in the morning. Uh, this huge wave picks up um, on our bow side. So just. Knocked us over. The dagboard was going and it went, snapped, and we rolled over. And you the boat rolled over. Yep, me and Pat were kicked into the water. And then. Um, Did you have ropes onto you that oh, you kept you attached? Yeah. Okay, yeah, if, yeah. You didn't, if you didn't have those on, you were gone. You'd be gone, yeah. Absolutely gone. There's a number of times we've been gone before that. And you didn't have life jackets, did you? Because you guys were like rowing naked at the time, yeah. so, weren't you? There's no point having life jackets only if you, the boat's rolled over, you go and get the life jacket if you can, and then you wait for someone to rescue. You don't wear a life jacket all the time. Okay. Um, and then uh, just as the boat was going over, um, Owen and Sean were in the back and they're like, this is happening. They're like, what do you mean this is happening? They're like, they locked us out. Well, they had to lock us out of the cabin. The cabin wasn't shut. And the water would go in. And is this daytime or nighttime? The nighttime, too. Oh, night. my God. Yeah. So it was pissing rain and these huge waves were in the water and then the boat's upside down. The boat rolls back. Two boys were able to get the boat rolled back and there's just there's hundreds of bits of, of equipment in the water, like everywhere, and there's rope. We all tangled up, so me and Pat were able to get back onto the boat, and we got back on, and the boat's still going uh, all over the place. And we just we just pulled in the oars, shit, got everything on deck, find out what we lost, we lost tons of stuff, tons of stuff, and then um, uh, there was inventory kind of uh, of of everything that we'd lost, and then then just need nothing to do but carry on rowing. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> this is just madness. One thing that I just kind of became aware of is that people won't know the format. So before the row, you would adjust your sleep pattern because you row two two hour, two people row two hours on while the other two sleep yeah. and rotate. Then you go in and you and Pat go in and sleep. The other two lads are rowing for two hours. Go in, rotate 24-7 round the clock for 32 days. Yeah, non-stop. So that's why the two guys were in the cabin as opposed to out rowing with you. They were having yeah. their nap or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe that happened at night time. That's what makes it even even scarier. Yeah, it was it was pretty shitty. Damn it! So was that the lowest part of it? Uh, but if that happens in the first week, that must affect your hope or your because you know the two people died in this thing before. Yeah, the somebody died here before us, and the guy died a couple of years before that as well. Uh, in the exact same boat that we were doing this in. Uh, so that that's going through your head. Yeah, um, it does. Not a lot of confidence out of you. Yeah, sure. Um, but then after a while, it's just kind of like, uh, I think it's, it's a testament of being a human. You just kind of, you're a survival creature. You just yeah. survive, you know, and it's like, um, at the same time, it's quite liberating. You don't care, you know, what car I drove, what job I did, <laughs> yeah, what exactly. who I hung out with. 
all that matters was the two hours on, two hours off. And you get this great freedom of just living in the now. Like literally all that matters is the next two hours. How are you getting to the next two hours? How are you going to deal with the pain in your arse? And how are you going to deal with the pain in the joints of your hands? You know, the weather's coming at you. Um, what, what, what direction? That's all you cared about. And I sometimes I think that's quite a natural way that humans are meant to. Yeah. You know, I like we, we definitely are foresight creatures. But yeah. at the same time, sometimes I think in this world, we spend so much time spending ahead and we forget about living in the now. And maybe it took that kind of volatile, dangerous, um, extreme world kind of rope back in and yeah. all, I, all I cared about actually was just the next two hours and it was you know uh, I was blissfully kind of almost ignorantly happy in it for me yeah uh, I, you know I, I suffered from depression for a long time but Jesus it never even came close to me on the bus yeah because just my brain didn't have time for it you're in a more um, uh, primal state yeah than probably maybe any other time in yeah. one's life and, and like, none of us would even most of us would never enter that uh, a state that primal yeah and, and as unnatural as the sleep cycle was and the food and the amount of calories you burned and stuff like that, the, there was a natural kind of survival element of it. Yeah. That my brain, I think, subconsciously deep got down somewhere like, okay, you know, you know, I, two million years of human evolution, we can handle this. Yeah. This is how you do it. And then all of a sudden, these big massive waves that, that scared us, just, they weren't, they, they kept us on edge, but they weren't terrifying. Yeah. You know, they didn't, they didn't scare me. And definitely when I came back off the boat, it's just, not to say that I don't scare easy, but it's just, you know. It's almost like you don't find the scare. You just, it's a primal thing to just keep going. Yeah, it's just kind of how you, you know, like actually, if you're backed right up against it and you have to deal with like this kind of, this very scary situation, your body and your brain are actually quite good. They're yeah. good at compartmentalizing fear and putting it somewhere in your head and keeping it there yeah. because it's important. You know, that's where you would. It's a, as Laird Hamilton would say, it's yeah. a performance enhancer. Yeah, you derive a lot of, of, of uh, adrenaline from it, from yeah. energy from it, but you don't, by any means, let it take over because then you're gone. You yeah. know, you're not getting anything done and you're stuck in the ocean. So it was just it was just kind of a natural place where to put the fear. And I've never experienced that before. Probably will never experience it again, mm. but it was nice to go there and just see how that part of my brain functioned. Yeah. You're going to nail a job interview question where it says, have you ever been in an adverse uh, situation how did you get out of it that, yeah. that question's out of the park um, does it change the position of fear in your day to day life now or is it as you say still within that primal range that we all naturally have and so it doesn't adjust anything it's, uh, I, it hasn't really adjusted like, yeah, yeah, yeah I get you um, it's, it's, so, it's such a different world you know yeah so that was the worst part yeah that was definitely up there talk know. about the high points though you, you tell me because I'm so jealous of the the moonlight, just you guys in the middle oh, of the yeah. Atlantic. I've never seen stars like it. The stars were just, um, they were absolutely incredible. Set the scene then. What, what, like when was it? How many days in? It was, uh, so we, we had two, we went through a cycle of two full moons. Oh no, the full moon was up in, uh, in the sky. That was really cool as well. And that was actually quite nice because you could see where the waves were coming from. And ah, the, so oh, the, the moon lit the ocean for you. Yeah, and it was, and it was so bright. It was so bright. It was, really? it, yeah, it was a real twilight. It never went. It was just this beautiful, and you could see these, you could see some quite beautiful colours as well. And um, that was stunning. Seeing this big moon, it was a lot bigger. It's funny when the moon would come up, the waves would get bigger because obviously they were attracted to the moon and you kind of get a lot more in touch with nature. You know, and you could feel the waves getting stronger and you, know, you knew that the full moon was coming up soon. You know? Yeah. Uh, and it kind of puts you back to, you know, I'm not actually too surprised that our ancestors were so in tune with nature. And yeah, of course. Uh, but then 
when there was no full moon and it's just the stars, you could very see clearly see the Milky Way. Like the, the line would just shoot across the sky. sky. And at the start, we were having this thing where we would see we had called shooting stars. By the end of night one, you could spot. I'd lost count. That's nuts. Yeah, you you look up in the star. You one had to wait for more than a few minutes before you see like a shooting star. Yeah. Um, and then there'd be just kind of tranquil moments where you'd just be rowing non-stop at night time, and you'd be kind of quiet in your own head, and you might be listening to music or playing music, and it's just kind of the the daftness of the situation would kind yeah. of come on top of you, and you just you know. Out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with the moon, the stars, and the ocean all yeah. to yourself. Yeah, go for a swim in the middle of the Atlantic, smack down the middle of the Atlantic. I always wanted to do that, so I went for a swim in the Atlantic uh, with a phone call and best boat. Um, so you got far from the boat? Uh, it was about. We we expect you to say no. Yeah. <laughs> that would no, be yeah, insane. Meters, so that was it. Did uh, you bring goggles? Yeah, snorkelers. Yeah, so we had to go every few every few weeks. You had to go under and scrape the bars. Ah, yeah, 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 brilliant. Yeah, uh, so we oh, had to do that. Uh, we saw a lot of dolphins came visit us. Uh, we saw uh, a ton of whales came. So uh, mink whales came up to the boat. I think we saw one shark that scared the daylights out of us. Oh my god! Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, there were very very special moments in that trip. Yeah. That, that you'll never, oh, never forget. Yeah. And that nobody gets to experience. Yeah. Very few. And it's lovely being, you know, more people being into space than have always wanted to do that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. 20, 20 times more people have been to talk about Everest. You told me. 20,000. 20 times. 20 times more people. Yeah. You told me a stat the other day. I can't remember what it was. But one of the only people to swim in the, Atlant- in the middle of the Atlantic or. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, you must be one of the only people to have... I wonder if you have smoked the most remote cigar in the world. You know that picture that I oh, love yeah, of yeah. you with the cigar on the boat? Yeah. Was that far? Was that, that like... Was a, was that that's in the middle of the That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, what's your Instagram? People should check out that picture. Uh, Tony Brown 90. Tony Brown 90. Very, very cool um, picture. Good Lord. What? Oh, you hate the question. But after doing that, then what comes next? Because you like, so actually, no, talking about the weight, yeah. you lost what, 15 kilos, is it? No, 10 kilos. 10 kilos. Yeah. Unreal. And I didn't have 10 kilos to lose. Yeah, well, yeah. So, uh, well, I was a lot bigger, but like. You were muscly, but you would have been under 10% body fat and probably. I was on 10 on the dot. 10 on the dot, yeah, right? Okay. I, got down, I got down to about four and a half, five, and then, yeah, was, I got very, very skinny. You lose a lot of, you burn a lot of muscle. Yeah. You know, we were still eating about five, six thousand calories a day. Of condensed milk, right? Oh yeah, that's the start number two. That obviously made us so sick. Really? Yeah, so sick. What did you switch to? Uh, a lot of peanut butter. A lot of, lot of, right. lots of peanut butter. Oh, this is a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely, <laughs> there are recurring themes in my life that so we'll <laughs> yeah. always make constant. Um, skimpy peanut butter. And then a lot of, um, a lot of Haribo, a lot of fruit pastilles, like the quick energy. At yeah. Nighttime. And then we had this kind of ocean, or not ocean, just kind of like astronaut food where you just add water to it. You let it steep for a couple of hours and you eat it again. Doesn't taste great, but you got but you see the um, yeah see the idea. Did you listen to music on the boat? Yeah, listen. like all the all like round the clock kind of Coldplay playing or what? No, 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 not all the time. Like a lot of time, you wouldn't listen to anything. You just be kind of doing your own thing, okay. or you listen to podcasts. Uh, I chewed through about 15, 16 books. Uh, right. Probably more actually. Uh, all on audio, audible books. So when do you do it during your sleep time if you just don't want to sleep? No, when you're rowing, you can just put your phones in and roll away. Oh right. Uh, or if if you're you know towards the end, I was only sleeping maybe four, three or four hours a day. Yeah. Like it, during our my time off, that could go. Amazing for how you can push the human body. Yeah. Right. Oh, your body can go through. It is. That's another thing that I was very um, 
uh, incredibly impressed by what your body's can the amount of pain they can suffer yeah. and what they can go through. No, not not a sustained long period. Of but course, but when you need, yeah. you have the the kind of the pool or the resource there. Yeah, um, it's unbelievable. Uh, I want to ask about leadership because you came into our year as and you became the leader. Um, you were a leader straight away, but you became the official leader within three years, which is remarkable. I know you're a big fan of of uh, Mr. Humphrey Butler and Alan uh, Churchill. Yeah. And and you can you have referenced and shown me some other incredible leaders yeah. over time. What does leadership kind of what does it look like to you? Good leadership. What what type of leadership do you aspire to or admire? Um, like I said before, I like to very much stand up for the for the small man and the the underdog. Yeah, uh, I like that kind of that that per se that kind of leadership. As well. I, can I just embarrass you a bit and reference a story that I wasn't there for? It was in DCU. On uh, Valentine's Day, fuck ages ago, 2011, 2012, when we were in college. And you, Tommy, Tommy's a big lecture hall, like 300 people or whatever. And Tommy had a girlfriend um, that wasn't there at the time. She, like, she wasn't in the class or anything. Um, and there was a girl who wasn't so glamorous or might have struggled with this area of her life. And you went into the lecture hall, you drew attention to yourself somehow. And in front of everyone, you handed her a bunch of flowers. And it's probably, yeah, she's, and my, like, she's my friend. She said she never had a Valentine's Day card. So, right, okay. So we went in and gave her a Valentine's card in front of everybody. So we, so everybody knows that she got a Valentine's Day yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or she'd kill me if she heard this now. To me, that's leadership. Uh, yeah, I think leadership matters itself in loads of different ways. Yeah. I, I remember once heard a, um, a very good quote, a, a good follower is a good leader. So, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily... Um, not necessarily the, the, the outright leader who puts the badge on it. Sure. Who's the leader of the group? You know, uh, the the All Blacks have this thing called the spiritual leader in in their rugby team. Really? Yeah. What and, is it? Um, and it's actually often more often not the guy who leads the haka, but they're not they're not per se the poster boy leader. They're not the captain of the the squad, the captain of the team. But sometimes I, I feel like leadership. Um, sometimes it comes in moments. Yeah. When, when it's very tough to be a leader, that's that's the leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Um. I think uh, when it's tough to be kind, um, I think I think that's a very important um, uh, trait of leadership. But again, this is my own definition, you know, and what I'm good at, or what I feel like I, I'm good at when it comes to leadership. There's other times where it's I would feel would be inappropriate for me to be a leader. Yeah, that's why I think some sometimes some organisations that um, when you have this staunch CEO or a staunch leader, or, you know, and it's like um, I think it, it can be quite stifling for yeah. other people. Who have tremendous leadership qualities in certain areas or environments or aspects. So I remember I, I uh, not to keep bringing up the rugby analogies, but the, the Welsh rugby coach uh, Warren Gatlin came down. And he said, um, "How did you know you, you made the team that you wanted when uh, Wales did very well that year? They won the um, Six Nations um, uh, and well, they pretty much uh, won the um, um, the Lions Tour with the almost Welsh team." Yeah. He was saying that he'd come to work and he came to work late one day and uh, came in and the team were doing the drills. You know, they, they, nobody they didn't need him. They didn't need him and he just sat down and he said he sat down for a whole session where the people knew uh, the drills and how, how the day went to go. Yeah. I think if I was ever to lead a business or if I was ever to lead a, a, an organisation or, or, um, or a government or, or whatever leadership thing, 
I would I would judge how good a leader you are mm. by how many good leaders you have around you. Sure. So I, and it would just go to testament, for example, as Welsh teams that they had very good leaders. Yeah. They didn't have one guy dictating, you know. Yeah. The plot they had they had several very good leaders who wanted who knew what they the goals were and they went about doing their own job. Mm. So I'd say a good leader is someone who breeds a culture of shared leadership. Yeah, and it's not necessarily the, the. I don't think sometimes sometimes the best leaders aren't very good at uh, their job and they're very acutely aware at where they where the downfalls are. Absolutely, yeah. And they know that okay, I'm not particularly good at this. Yeah. This guy's very good at this. This guy needs to lead. Yeah. Like yeah. he's not very good at this. This guy's very good at this. So sometimes I think they make the best leaders. Mm. I found leadership to be a really interesting um, topic to learn about recently and where leaders fit in within not just institutions or whatever but communities as well and how a, a leader can change an institution into a community yeah. and that was a big eye-opener for me in Google because Google was very much a community and, and one that you can uh, buy into contribute to no matter how senior or junior yeah. you are yeah. and community for me was almost a form of payment that I got from Google that them allowing me access to this amazing warm community yeah. was Compensation. It was it, yeah. was, it was brilliant. Uh, I would say that I would say that is probably one of Google's greatest advertisements. For example, if somebody like me wants to go work there, I love to do that. Yeah. Not necessarily the free breakfast and free lunches. Yeah. yeah. Great breakfast. But if, if somebody said to me, like, you know, you can sit down beside CEO. Well, I'm not anyone. CEO. You can yeah. do whatever you yeah. want, and you know, you know, you know, spitball and, and see see what yeah. and what's going on. That I think that is incredible. It is an amazing thing that they've that they've. Created and one that I wasn't aware that I valued community. Yeah. And then if you before Google, and then six months in, you ask me what's the best thing about this place? Community, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, it's a, a, amazing for that. So I recommend people to look out for um community before coming to or you know assess whether or not it's something that you might value before getting into a job. Now that you're back, you're ten kilos lighter, or you probably. I've had a few jacket takes since coming back. Yeah. Um, what will you do? As I'm, I often say to super fit people, like, you've got this equipment, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Um, what are you going to do next? Um, in terms of the next real big push, I'd love to swim either the, the English Channel or, or from the Atlantic. Or, <laughs> not the Atlantic. <laughs> uh, or from uh, Wales to Dublin. Right, okay. Uh, I'd love to do that. Um, I'd also like to get an Ironman under my belt as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm actually right now job hunting, so I need to get I need to get that box in my area sure. ticked off before I can actually start doing some serious training again and and, and get to another level that's yeah that that will that will allow me to do it. Um, but again, it's one of those things. I'm just kind of sitting back and absolutely not letting the world happen to me, but being very open to what the next challenge is. Sure, you know, I think that, like going right back again, having a specific goal, and something that can kind of stifle mm. sometimes. Uh, a creative process or opportunities I come across. Yeah. To use the analogy of, of a rowing journey, you choose a destination, but you allow for wind and you don't, you know, you don't kind of fight against the wind. You, you let it take you where it goes. So it's not like you're just sitting here waiting for life to happen and for something to pop up. You do move in a direction, but then if something comes along that you really like the look of, then you can alter yeah, your destination. You absolutely have to go with the weather. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You can't fight the weather. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it actually reminds me of something Conor McGann, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, said because you don't see a marathon runner as well. Yeah. And he just, we just talked about the importance of having dual goals. So if you've got your goal in work to get promoted, whatever it might be, 
balance that with a goal outside of work, whether it's a physical goal or a relationship-based goal or whatever it might be, having those dual goals and balancing yourself out that way and having more than one-sided intensity, so try to keep intensity on, on, on a couple of different fronts. It's tiring, but it's very stimulating and often it, it might fill the gap, fill the void that people would feel um, in their lives. Yeah, I definitely would. Sure. Okie doke, let's move on to the quick fires then. Okay. Um, I hope you're prepared because I did give, I gave my head start, so there's no excuses with it. Some people have excuses. Book. Okay, uh, Dan Lennon. I knew it. Way yeah. Beast the Warrior. That is very good. Yeah. Tommy recommended that to me in college and um, that it, it's a huge eye opener and inspirer, so I definitely yeah. recommend or, or, that. Or uh, that's a uh, um, fiction book. Yeah. Uh, another really good book read is um, The Short History of Miriam. Is that Bill Bryson? Yes. Right, okay, yeah, yeah I think I read that. Very, very good book. Um, so the first one, just in case you missed it, Dan Millman, Way of the Warrior. Very good book. Um, short history of everything. Um, I, I found that quite sciencey, I think, but I'm really sensitive. If anything sciencey, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. So maybe it depends on what, what other people are into there. Um, someone you find inspiring who you know, who's in your life? Um, I Definitely my dad. Right. Is definitely one. Um, I would say some of the conversations I have with you, I find very. Uh, I don't have those conversations with many people. Yeah. You know, and probably thank God, you know, because sometimes I get very heavy. I have that conversation every single day. But I would have to say some conversations I have with yourself, and then another person I would know would actually probably be my old boss, uh, Jared. In the symptom. Yeah. He's, right. Yeah. He's. Um, I'm just. I just had come across someone who's so passionate about it, about his business, and it was just, it was infectious. You know, I, I ended up loving working for him. Yeah. You know, and he was, and yeah, and he, he had he had this great, um, he had a great um, attitude. Like, you know, that it was very tough. Someone goes through some really tough times yeah. financially. Uh, he did not have it easy at all. Um, like socially as well. He, you know, he was working very, very tough. But, um, like if you want to see somebody grind, sure. You know, I thought I just I was very impressed by a lot of stuff he did just when I was working with him. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he was he um he had now I was saying that about these goals, like yeah, I think he had a very open life, and uh, he went off to San Francisco, you know, J one, and then didn't come back for ten years. Kind of not didn't by any means plod through life, but kind of kept it very open. Yeah, yeah. And he came up with this great idea. Yeah. And then and then went for it. Yeah. Okay. And and to do that and. Do in your in your forties, you know, it, it takes a lot. Yeah, of work, that's a, a lot, lot of work. Of and uh, and and he did, and he, did, and he really nailed his pulls across, and there's a lot of a lot of time for. Um, that's a huge crunch. If you do, I don't know if he does, but if you have family or, or yeah. important people in your life as well, that's a huge thing. Um, and inspiring. Thank you. An inspiring person that you don't know, who you've not met, who you kind of see out there that these guys would research or look at. Um, I think J.K. Rowling. Why? Um, I think she's. I think she's. Maintained being actually very down to earth, having and I think she had a very humble upbringing. Uh, it's, it's quite well known that um, this is the author of Harry Potter. Yeah, so she it's her story is quite well known that she had a very humble upbringing as well, quite a di- not a difficult one as well. But she went she had a lot of financial worries. Sure. And uh, she was one person who followed her dream and and kind of yeah yeah and and again she kind of kept quite an open life mm. you know kind of and kind of not went through life and let life happen to her but kind of like. I'm very much used to that. Actually, a lot of um, the the themes to Harry Potter, um, she does a lot of great interviews. The best she's ever done is a um, is a 
a graduation speech I think it was for Harvard I've seen that yeah. amazing absolutely phenomenal yeah. I, and I remember seeing that in Moore's and, and after following on Twitter as well I'm a big fan of her on Twitter right. I just feel, I feel she's actually she's very down to earth and she kind of gets it something incredible about her she's a record breaker Yeah. she is the first person to go from being a billionaire to not being a billionaire just because of charitable giving yeah, so she was, I don't know where she was, yeah. but she gave away hundreds of millions at least, maybe yeah. millions, I'm not sure where she was. Yeah. She went to, to not being a billionaire yeah. because she felt it was her her uh, responsibility to share. She's also the first billionaire author. No way, yeah. really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah, it is, her impact is, is incredible. She did it all as a single mother, I'm pretty sure, didn't she? Yeah, and yeah. Then sometimes you get people who are, who are I feel, um, who are celebrities and they kind of, and she's quite political by I don't think they don't they don't they don't read around the subject very well. I feel she does. Right. I feel she does way up both sides very well. Okay. And she's not she's not scared to voice her opinion. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I don't agree with, but sometimes I, I do agree with. But I, I have a lot of a lot of talent yeah. to me like that. Fair play. Great to research for people. J.K. Rowling. Um, a personal lesson you've learned in your in your twenties. Would it be that there's more to that humans are capable of more than we think in terms of fear tolerance? Body physical tolerance. Oh yeah, I would I would say that I would say that the, there's a kind of big sweep in statements that a lot of people are kind of not buzzword but a lot of people like to hear yeah. that you can do whatever you put your mind to and I, I do believe that but yeah. I have, and I've seen it but if I had to put forward a very personal to myself that it isn't a big sweeping one I would say just um just be very conscious that you're always being kind to yourself mm. you know just be careful that you're the goals that you set. And and the area you want to work in and stuff like that. Make sure that it's 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 kind to yourself. And if you don't succeed, you know, put away the whip. I think in the Western world, uh, we are very very quick to whip ourselves and compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. And it's tough. We, you know, we, we have Instagram, Facebook. They're not social media tools. They're comparison tools. Yeah. You know, people don't use them to 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 stay in touch with friends, but say they use it to compare. Comparison. Oh, that's amazing. Know? Yeah. Uh, and and just just be very conscious. You know that that is you're surrounded by a world of that. Yeah. And the only person who ultimately ultimately has your back, you know, is, is yourself. Yeah. You know, just yeah, just be very kind to yourself uh, and and patient with yourself. One of my favorite authors, Paulo Coelho. Have you heard it? The Alchemist is the most famous book. Yeah. He has a couple of quotes about that, just about keeping your eye on your own path, and it's actually a recurring theme on this podcast as well. A couple of people have talked about it now that that, that is the lesson they're learning. Um. It's the, maybe the most important lesson for, for people in our generation and who grew up with Instagram, etc. Yeah. To learn is just to don't worry about what's going on around you. Focus on your own path, your own stimulations. Yeah. What you did is nuts, going off rowing in the Atlantic, quitting a really good job, etc. Like it's crazy. Yeah. But it was your path and going back to this idea that when you dream of something, it carves out a shape in your head and the only way to uh, tickle that or fill that shape is by doing that thing. Yeah. everyone's thing is going to be different and don't worry about anyone else's thing whether it's more secure than yours more lucrative than yours more glamorous than yours whatever it might be just focus on that one thing that you have and the first one will lead to the second one and as Steve Jobs says in, when you look back it all makes sense then in hindsight it doesn't have to make sense but it won't yeah um, big fan of that Absolutely. professional lesson within the workplace this would kind of cross over between professional lesson and kind of uh, and kind of personal as well, and it's a bit controversial. 
uh, as fully as I want them to be, I'm very happy with the reception. Why? Uh, I think um, the, we have a first-past-the-post um, mentality these days that QK number one, nobody remembers QK second, every wants to be the best, the best, the best. It is exhausting. We teach kids uh, and encourage them to become the best and you know and and there is that kind of culture now that we are swaying it and it's almost going to the opposite as well just people to participate yeah but if you're if you you know the, it's kind of like when i was a tennis like i always wanted to be number one it made me so unhappy you know yeah. and 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 doesn't it sounds defeating and i remember a mum said mum and dad would say to me that i to explain things like you'll always be something better than you are something yeah it's, and actually that's so okay mm. it's absolutely fine so it's okay to be uh, the second best salesperson in the company, yeah. or the third best, or just I go salesperson, and and the second or third best tennis player in your club, and a reasonably good chess player, and you know, a, a, you know, with a group of friends, not the funniest guy, but the, the, you know, yeah. but you're chasing all these things, you're going to drop the ball on all of yeah, them. Yeah, you get tired. You know, and and if you put so much effort into one, like you said before, like and you're just dogmatically just want to be the best in sales, and it doesn't say per se come totally natural to you, you're going to drop, and something else in your life is going to mm. fall off, and and in the end you could be you could be seen as that, and unfortunately in our world it's like you only get seen when you're number one, sure. you know, and it's kind of like even like when we were saying there with like Steve Jobs, it's like, you know, he did become this incredible tech guru giant. But they, you didn't see how many balls he dropped around. Yeah. But actually, if you look at it, and it's coming out more and more, a very unsuccessful man yeah. with regards to what actually it meant to be a human being. Yeah. And, and, and only, the world, only the world will see it in the end. You know, even, even I'd say, like, for example, with Winston Churchill, I, I really admire him, but I'm very conscious at the time as well that he was a very unsuccessful human being in lots of other yeah. areas. You know, he, he was very tough to be around. He was very ignorant. You know, and I just think that when you do come across these people who are just so confident in themselves and, and, they're, and they're so, they don't have this panic kind of race to be number one and, or they're just happy that, they, that they're doing what they can do yeah. and they're not by any means trying to force themselves out or, 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 or finish one person no matter what. They are the, they are the people that I have wanted to hang around. Yeah. We talked about this last night. Um, I mentioned that uh, an Irish businessman, a global one I should say, that achieved enormous success in business and in, in commerce and financially etc but was a very bad family man and how i used to just aspire to be just like him all the time and then i kind of that family thing really grew on me the idea of that somewhere where i want to be super successful and the fact that he dropped such a big ball with that was a massive deterrent from me or for me from him as a as a kind of role model and I reflect on that and I've kind of realized that extreme success in one area, it's kind of like a seesaw. If you go really high up on one side, it has to come down somewhere else. Yeah, and so if you look for extreme success, choose where you're going to let it down. Like what part of the seesaw is going to be down? It's going to be your friendships, your uh, family relationships, your health, which often it is, uh, your morals, your, your life as a human, your contribution to society or, or uh, minorities or whatever it might be. One of them's coming down, yeah. and choose which one it's going to be. And if you don't want any of them to come down, then aim for moderate, balanced success, where you have 
taking care of yourself financially and achieve stuff uh, commercially, whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, but you and don't be greedy about that side. And then hold all the other stuff and keep a balanced seesaw where nothing has to hit the ground. You know, yeah. Um, that's the way I've kind of looked at from how my perspective on success in in the business sector has changed over time. What is the change you wish to see in the world? Um, the activist CSA. Um, and this was completely off off the well, it's, it is married with the rowing. We use that as plastics. Yeah. So we didn't see any boats. Uh, sorry, any other boats rowing uh, their units in Red Bull Eagle Room, or we saw two other shipping containers that were about five miles away from us, and I can still remember this. You know, that was it. That's the closest we ever came to boats. Uh, but we saw a lot of plastic. Right. We saw, you know, we saw um, a lot of plastic bags. We saw, we saw a few Coca Cola for two liter bottles of Coke. Rice in the middle of the dam. That's crazy. And it's just, yeah, and it, it's just, I think, um, obviously, I would like. If there's one thing I can change the world, and it is a bit of a curveball, I think we should do that. There's one thing you might know about this. I'm not sure, uh, and you guys will be shocked by this. There's an island in oh, the North Pacific. A new, a new, um, a new continent. Or the it's the size of France. This thing. Yeah. And it's only made up of waste and plastic. Yeah. And it just sits in the Pacific. I actually, I was going to say, I read that last night when you when you were telling me about these questions. I went home. To, to Google more about plastics, and uh, yeah, there's, there's two. Just if you type in garbage island into Google, yeah, it's it's yeah. the size of France. Yeah, like I just wrap your head around that. Like you're standing in France, you see ten fields in front of you. Like holy, holy crap, that's a lot of land or whatever. Yeah, all of France yeah. in rubbish, oh, sitting in the ocean. Very, very sad. And very people sad. don't think we have a problem. Yeah, but um, it's out of sight, out of mind. You know, it's yeah. wild. Um, so yeah, I love that. That's a very important one, and and, and something we we even just now we were talking because uh, I, I I'm trying to get really into recycling and stuff, and it's actually bad to recycle your meat tray. So if you're using meat, if raw meat has been on the plastic tray, yeah. don't recycle it because then everything else that's in that recycling bin doesn't get processed. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, you have to clean it all out. Yeah, you have yeah. to it has to be immaculate. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, an island the size of France, that kind of that, that speaks enough. Um, one more. What? How have the rewards you seek changed over time? Um, Maybe if we do three snapshots: graduated from school, going into college; graduated from college, going into the working world; and post sort of Kenya, post Rome, post Olympia. So those three snapshots between um, them, how have they changed? So when I was in school, it was still I was still kind of hanging on to like being the best at something, you know. And right. I was still hungry to kind of achieve and and that was uh and I, and I was getting rewards from from this best in class or from this class or from the on the team whatever and that's where I was getting my rewards from from college it was um I was trying to get rewards from kind of uh it was kind of financial rewards and um and kind of job satisfaction uh, uh, rewards you know and I was trying to balance them together and I was trying to Make a lot of money and and uh, and go off and become this kind of famous name and famous national international relations yeah. and right so, um, and then post Rose which is the the biggest project I've done since then it's it's more been about it's more been about just finding a kind of a contentment and, yeah. and maybe maybe more of a flow that I can function very well in 
do and I still want to, to achieve as much as I can, as much as I can, without willing, like you said, to um, sacrifice other aspects. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Well, Tommy Brown, you're an inspiring man. Thank Thanks you. for doing what you do. Cheers. Keep it up. Thanks for coming on the on the first ever video. Very good. Cool, we'll have you. So, that's Tommy Brown, and I think you can see why I've got so much time for him. Now, he gave his quote in the podcast, but there is another quote that he loves that, incidentally, I showed him. It was showed to me by an old manager of mine, and Tommy loves it. And he asked me to include it in the digest because he didn't have it on him at the time of the recording. The quote is by President Theodore Roosevelt. And it goes like this. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Who strives valiantly. Who errs. Who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. I think on that note, I'll leave it there and we'll see you next week.